Amen. I want to uh, try to do this this morning on Hebrews chapter 12. I read these verses just this week, and it just so gripped me that I wanted to share with you. You know, I know we're probably all tired of what's going on in our world worldwide today, but especially in America and recently, you know, the impeachment, but you know, it's much deeper than that and all those hearings and everything, just the whole thing. And I'm not talking about parties, Republican or Democrat or independent or Tea Party or anything. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the evil, the darkness that's going on in our world today. And it's increasing. We're tired of it. Aren't you tired of it? Well, the good news, bad news, the bad news, it's not over yet and it's not through yet, but the good news is in the end, we really do win. So I'm going to share with you what Hebrews 12 says about that, verses 18 through 29. It's a little lengthy reading. I'm not even sure if I've got the same translation you guys are going to show up there. They're going to show from the Tree of Life version, but let me just read what I've got and we'll see how that goes. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and a sound and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given that even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying uh, was the sight that Moses said, and I'll read it with that emphasis, that Moses even said, I tremble with fear. This is on Mount Sinai, in case you're wondering, what are you reading from? But you have come, he said, but you have now come to Mount Zion. There's Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, we're going to talk about them today and what they have to do with our lives today. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that was Moses, then much less will we escape if we reject him, Yeshua Jesus, who warns us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. You remember reading that in Exodus? When God came upon the mountain there at Mount Sinai, the whole earth shook. And uh, the, the, the clouds and everything scared, scared him to death. And said, for if, let me, let me get back to where I was. At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore... And here's the conclusion of that block portion of Scripture. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, to understand this, we need to look back into the Old Covenant and look at some details of this passage to help clarify what in the world is Pastor talking about today, two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and why these things are helpful for you and I as God's people to look at uh, today. And what we have here, it's a contrast between the two mountains, one where the law was given, 
And one in Mount Zion, the new heavenly Jerusalem, where there's grace given. That's just a short version of that. And and they both uh, uh, figure prominently from Scripture and in our lifetime. Uh, We believe around here, both the old and the new covenants, it's God's word. It's one book. There's one author. There's several writers, but there's one author. And several writers that he used and, and worked through to, to pen the word of God for us. Verses 18 through 21 describe the first mountain, Mount Sinai. Verses 22 through 24 describe the other mountain, Mount Zion. Uh, then verses 25 through 29, we'll look at this. They uh, work out an understanding of the difference in those two mountains, Sinai and Zion, and what it means to us now today. In Exodus 19, I won't read it all to you, but this is when the Lord called the children of Israel after their exodus. He called them to the mountain. He said, sanctify yourselves because I'm going to show myself among the people. He called Moses up to the mountain, and the smoke came, and the clouds came, and the thunder came, and the lightning came, and the fire came. So great that Moses even said, who had a already a conversation and lifestyle going on with God. Moses even said it scared him. And the people were so scared when they heard God speak. This is when they heard the shofar probably for the first time, which called them to gather. We're going to hear the shofar again one day. It's going to call us out of this place. So God uses that shofar to, to, to signal his people that, hey, I'm calling you. And, and when, as God called the people... The voice of the Lord and the power and the manifestation presence of God. It was so frightening to them when Moses came down to communicate with them. They said, Moses, you go talk to him. We can't take it. It's too scary. And what that really did, let, just let me give you a short version of that. It really, God was establishing them a reverence and a respect for him. They were slaves in Egypt. They were under the bondage of Egyptian people that worship all kind of heathen and pagan gods. They did not know God yet. They'd been 430 years in captivity. All of the the knowledge that that former, their ancestors had had about the Lord, it was wiped away from them. God called, raised up Moses, sent them to be the deliverer. Then Moses had to teach them the ways of God, the law of God, to institute the the tabernacle worship and the sacrifices. It was all brand new to them. And God was instituting to them that you need to reverence and you need to respect the ways of the Lord. So the Lord's presence, it scared them. It scared them. And when the people in Exodus 20, 18 through 19, when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the, I mean, once that trumpet, that shofar started blasting, it just grew louder and louder and louder until it was deafening. Can you imagine? I mean, we, hit, we blow the shofar around here and it's loud around here. But you can, and can you imagine outdoors at a shofar blast started blowing so, lo- so long and loud it scared the people? It was heard in, in over their, their, what, three point something million people? Scared them to death. It was an awesome, frightening experience for them. It says the people were afraid. They trembled. They stood afar off. They said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Wow. We keep in mind those verses. Then we fast forward to our text today, Hebrews 12. He said, for you have not come to what may be touched. For you have not come to what may not be touched. They were told, don't touch the mountain. They were told, don't even let an animal come upon the mountain or it'll die. God was establishing his holiness. 
He wasn't trying to make them fear him in the sense of be afraid, but yet reverence his ways and reverence his presence. Listen, if anything needs to be restored in our life personally and in the church church life corporately today, it's a fear and a reverence for God, a respect for the Lord. Amen. In our lives. I'm talking about us. The world can't respect him or reverence him because they don't have a relationship. They don't have a revelation of him. But when you and I do, we are held accountable. We are called into accountability when we have a revelation of him to, to reverence him and fear him. And fear, and I always feel like I have to define this, fear doesn't mean being afraid of God. It means reverencing him and respecting him that he is who he says he is. And he will do what he said he will do. And he is a good God and he will keep his promises to his people. And we need to reverence that. We need to respect that. And he has ways that are right. And when we violate his ways, listen, it's not God painting a target on you and picking on you. But when you walk outside of the covenant with God, you become a target for the enemy automatically. There's only two kingdoms, folks. God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, the usurper, the enemy, the devil. It was rebellious. And when, you're, when you and I are not walking in agreement with God's covenant, you are siding with the enemy's camp. That's it. And thank God there's grace and there's mercy. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given that even if a beast, an animal touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses even said, I tremble with fear. That was the Mount Sinai experience. And this is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. And that scene there, that scenario there, it's all about the unapproachable, the unapproachableness to God because of mankind's sin. And because God was holy and sin could not be brought into God's presence. God had to establish that into the heart and the life and the culture of Israel. And thank God they have passed that on to you and I today. And thank the Lord. The Lord didn't stop there. And I'm going to just go to the, the end real quick. But God didn't stop there. But he wants us to approach him. So he made it possible through Jesus Yeshua. Amazing. And thank God for that. Are you all with me today? All right, so, you know, what was wrong with Mount Sinai? Nothing really. It was God establishing to his people who he was. He was an awesome God. He was the creator. They never had a, I mean, they'd seen all those miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt. Isn't it amazing? They'd seen all those miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, but one of the first things they did when they got on the other side of the Red Sea, what did they do? They started complaining and bellyaching. We ain't got no food. We ain't got no water. What's going to happen to us? We should have died in Egypt. We want the fish and the leeks and the garlic and the onions we had back there. What is this stuff? That's what manna means. What is it? The Bible calls it angel food. You know, we human beings, we, we have this human nature we're wrestling with. You still got it. We, got to, we need to sanctify it. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to walk, learn to walk in the Spirit that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Thank God one day we're going to be absolutely delivered from this flesh nature and we're going to become like Jesus. Thank God. But until then, we've got to deal with our flesh. And Mount, Mount Zion, it actually was a place that, in a sense, it established a fear and a reverence in them. 
And they, as human beings, they came there, and it showed them that they, that they were sinners. It showed them that they were in need of the Lord. Even though they were God's people called out, they were in need of the sacrificial system to cover at that time, not cleanse, but cover their sins so that they could approach God and be in fellowship with God. And the, the, to touch Mount Zion, uh, Sinai, sorry, to touch Mount Sinai, it was fatal. God said, don't let the people come up on the mountain. My holiness, my purity, they'll, they'll die. And God didn't want to kill them, but he did want them to learn that his ways were holy. That's that one mountain. The other mountain, which Hebrews, the text here in Hebrews 12, actually names, it's Mount Zion, and it stands for heaven and the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a place. I love this scripture in John 14 where Jesus himself said, let not your hearts be troubled. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that there you may be with me. And the intention is forever. Heaven is a literal place. It's not some mystical, ethereal place, uh, spooky, uh, non-real existence, uh, maybe imaginary. It is a place, Jesus said. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's, it's a place that, that even though you haven't seen it it, it, it lies in the future for us as God's people. And these words were used to describe this mountain of Sinai that were very different. And the, the words for Mount Sinai, uh, of Zion, compared to Sinai, it evoked a very different sort of feeling. Mount Sinai was a fearful place. The people were afraid. But Mount Zion evoked a place uh, of, of where the people would, uh, it says there were a city where the living God himself resides, a city where countless angels in festal gathering, well, we don't run around using that word festal, maybe we do during Christmas or something, if you're old English or something, but a festal gathering, which refers to angelic hosts that were thronging around the throne of God with glad worship. Do you know what you were doing here this morning when you were worshiping the Lord? The angels were joining in with you. Amen. Do you understand that when you were doing it, you were jo joining in with what's going on around the throne of God? Yes. We can do that. We're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to the Samaritan at the, at the well, with, to the Samaritan woman, when she started talking religion to him, said, the, the Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit and in truth. And when you and I worship the Lord... It may not make sense, and, and you may not feel like it. Most of the times, we don't feel like it. Most of the times, I don't feel like worshiping the Lord, but I've learned He is worthy no matter what I feel like. I'm going to be honest with you. I got to bed late and then woke up at 4 o'clock, and I said, Dear Jesus, I thought I could sleep a little later. I didn't really have, I didn't really have everything together for this morning, fighting this stuff. I'm just being transparent with you. You wake up some morning, it's like, instead of good morning, Lord, it's good, Lord, it's morning. <laughs> Already. I just laid down. Ricardo, you know what I'm feeling. You guys were out late, too. The Gillettes were out late, too. A few of the others were. Yep. I didn't realize there was a line to get your coat last night at the end of the thing. I mean, you know, it was cold, and you had to check your coat in. I didn't know there was a line. I came out of the, the ballroom there. I just went up to the table. There was, there was just a few people lying at the table. I went up to the table, handed her my red ticket. They took 
10 minutes to find my coat because there were so many there. After I got my coat and put it on, I started walking out and I went, oh my goodness, there's a line and there must have been a hundred plus people in that line. I went, I just broke line and cheated and got my coat. <laughs> Pastor. And they were looking at me and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out. I don't know these people. Why are they staring at me? Now I know. I said, Sylvia, let's get out of here. I just broke in line in front of all these people and, and got my coat. And, and they know I'm a pastor because they had me up there leading in prayer. I didn't even try to apologize. I just said, let's get out of here. Quick. Run. <laughs> I said, Lord, honestly, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know there was a line. I thought I'd beat everybody else to the table. But I know you never have days like that. <laughs> I'm making that point. Because even when you feel your worst, even when you... Even when some days you feel the hot breath of Satan and every demon in hell breathing down your neck. Chasing you feel like with pitchforks. The Lord is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised. He's a conquering king. And Hebrews here tells us that this place that we're going to. And I'm, I'm not just trying to preach this message or teach this to you today. To look for a pie in the sky and a sweet by and by. Because I believe with all my heart, I am a strong advocate. We have victory right now. Yeah, we got problems. Yeah, we got issues. Yes, we have challenges. Yes, we have reversals. My refrigerator breaks down. My car breaks down just like yours does. Ours does just like people in the world do. Our children go haywire, go sideways, you know, just like people in the world do. But we have victory through Jesus Christ. He makes us more than conquerors because he loves us. His love covers us. His love helps us. We have hope. We're not alone. People in the world, they're alone. You know, I had a sensation of this. I think it was Friday morning. I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be without your presence. I remember 48 years ago how dark it was in my life without Jesus. It was dark. There was no hope. There was nothing to look forward to. I was trying to figure out what was going on. I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be in that darkness and that, that again. I want your presence. I said, it would be horrible, Lord, not to have your presence, not to know that you loved us and you're with us, Lord. I don't want, I don't want to live that way. So it says, it describes this place. This is the place where God himself, he resides. He's here with us now. But yes, we have this to look forward to. And you know, we may be seeing, and, and really my heart was like, it's just so struggling with all the mess that we're seeing in this world today. It is so messed up. And I'm not negative and I'm not a pessimist. I believe I'm a realist. It's messed up. And I believe only God can fix it. Only God can fix it. I don't think man and all of his money, military, CDs, or politics, I don't think man can do it unless we were to bow our knee and get on our face before God and see our leaders humble themselves before the Lord and call out and cry out to God and admit, God, we can't do it. We've messed up. We're away from you, and God, we need you to intervene. I believe that is a hope for America. And you and I must pray to that end. I don't like what leaders are saying. I don't care what party they're of. I don't like what they're saying. They need Jesus. And Jesus is still the answer and the only answer. It's not going to work any other way. Man's government, man's systems, they fail every time. It may start out good, but man is corrupt and man corrupts everything that he touches. 
And until you and I hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God, and that's what you and I can have in this life too. We can have the kingdom of Jesus when he came. He said, the kingdom is now among you. He didn't take it back when he ascended. He left it among us for us to officiate in the kingdom of God and occupy until he comes. That means do kingdom business until he returns or until he takes you out of here. I believe that's our responsibility as a child of God and a Christian. And it affects every area of our life, how we raise our kids, how we, how we are mother and a father, how we're a husband and a wife, how we're a married couple, how we, how we, our work ethic at work. Give your employer your best hours and don't cheat. Don't go hide in the bathroom. Don't go, you know, go, don't go fooling around. I know when, when I worked in the department store, in Rich's department store, unloading those tractor trailer trucks. I, got, I wasn't saved when I first got there, and I still smoked, and I still did drugs. And, and yeah, I would, I would hide out like the other guys did. But when I got saved, it all changed. And I'm not pinning any roses on me and saying I'm great and wonderful anymore. But it all changed because the Spirit of God came into my life and changed my nature and came, changed my character. And I quit going all the way up to the fourth floor and hiding. And I worked and I gave my employer every moment of the time clock that I was supposed to give them. Thank God they gave us breaks and lunch. And then I was, a, I was appointed to be a driver to drive between stores. A lot of those guys would just drive around. But I'd go to where I was supposed to do and go back. Now, I'm not trying to say, you know what, I'm not trying to set myself up an example. But listen, when you're saved and you're really saved, there's got to be some conviction in your life. You've got to walk a walk that the rest of the world looks at, that you don't cheat, you don't compromise, that you're honest, that you have integrity, and that you live a life that glorifies the Lord. And they said, well, why don't you do this anymore? I said, I'm saved. I don't want to. What I've got is better in the Lord than what I had before. What I had was darkness. Now I've got light. And I'm having a blast being honest in my life. And for the first time, I can be honest with people and not lie. I love being able to lay down at night and pillow my head with a clear conscience and a clean heart. And somehow God and Sylvia, I pray, I've said it before, Sylvia, I pray, Lord, if we failed you in any way or hurt somebody or failed somebody, they please wash us, cleanse us, and forgive us. I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss disappointing the Lord in this life either. He said there would be a great throng of angelic beings worshiping around the throne. The city was filled with those who are among the firstborn. That's us. That's you and I, firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. You know what it came. And now because we're in him, we're the firstborn. By virtue of us being in Christ, who he was the firstborn resurrected from the dead. And it says the same persons, that these are the righteous ones in that verse 23, and we've been made perfect. Now, you and I are not perfect right now. And that really that word actually perfect means mature, complete. I'm not all that God wants me to be yet. Have you noticed? <laughs> but neither are you. We're all in process. He's working on us all. You know, they used to have a little saying in a badge, uh, don't, don't criticize me or don't judge me yet or something. He's still working on me. What? Don't be angry with me. God's still working on me. And then there, it was a kid song too, wasn't it? He's still working on me. Something I'm not supposed to be or whatever. True. And then it says there's a judge in this mountain, Zion, in this city, which, you know, oh, judge. Most of us have a kind of a negative connotation there, but a sense of foreboding. But listen, for us, the firstborn, 
Our sins are already judged when we bowed the knee and received Jesus Christ. We're free. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from sin. We're free from the condemnation. We're free from the guilt of sin. And when you walk in the light, his blood continues to cleanse us, you, from your sin. So there's no need for us to fear the judge because the judge that we're going to be standing for is Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ where he, was going to, he is going to give rewards for the Christian life that we have lived. He is our mediator there whose shed blood cries out for mercy and grace for you and I. Hallelujah. Mount Zion was quite a contrast to Mount Sinai. Mount Zion is not a place of terror and fear. It's not a place that's unapproachable. It's not a place that strikes fear in our hearts, but it's a place where there's joy and completion. It's a place full of life where angels are celebrating and the people of God are celebrating in glory. We're casting our crowns before him forever and ever, exalting him and praising him and thanking him. It never grows old. I was thinking this morning, you know, sometimes we, we as humans, we get bored, don't we? I don't like going on vacation, going to the same place twice, unless it's got to be really, really good. I get bored. I've had enough of Mickey going two times. I don't get it. Standing in line for 45 minutes to ride a, a minute and a half ride, I don't get it. In the hot sun, I don't get it. I don't like that. So I get kind of bored on vacations real easy. And somebody said, well, let's, I said, we've already been there. Or, and we even thought about it, so let's don't go again. But, you know, even, even in a service, sometimes I catch myself bored. Do you? Are you honest enough to me? Sometimes, and this morning I said, the thought came to me, we're doing the same thing we did last week. And we have sang these songs before at some point in time in history recently. <laughs> I hope I don't mess up worship for you from now on. But <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking this thoughts a little bit this morning. But you know what's different? You know what makes it fresh? His presence. What makes it fresh is when you're singing from here and not just here. <laughs> but when you're singing from here and you're worshiping him, his presence comes. And we sang these words hundreds of times probably. And words very similar to it hundreds of times. But what makes it life-giving and fresh and invokes his presence to come and dwell among us is when it comes from here. And we begin to worship him like Jesus said in spirit and in truth. He becomes alive. Comes alive. Well, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> There's so much in this block of scriptures that I know I can't deal with it all. It's, it's, it's too much, but it's also good. It's like, Trying to eat your favorite meal and you get it, you get it double sized, you know. It's like it's too much, but it's also good. I want to eat it all, but you can't because it's just too much. But he goes on to say, you know, having, uh, he, he coaches us. The writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, but some people don't, but I don't care. But uh, it doesn't matter. It's God's word. But in Hebrews 11, he encourages us. That's the faith chapter, we call it. He encourages us lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And I want to tell you, a lot of us feel that right now. God, we have prayed. We have believed. We have wrestled. And Lord, we're seeing things go the opposite way. Now, I'm not talking about election. I'm not talking about that. 
but I'm just talking about the way the world is going. I failed to ask, and I should have spoke up Thursday and asked those guys, and I'm going to email them, guys, because I want to know from their point of view, these ones that taught us Thursday, they feel like this whole educational system and to get God back into America can be done in a 30-year cycle. But it's got to start back in the schools. And it's, it won't start in public schools as they are now. It's got to start in the church. And it's got to start with us standing up and saying, we've had enough. Come on. I say, ah. Oh. See, most of us as Christians think we're supposed to be pacifists. We're, we're in the mess we're in because we have been pacifists. That hurts, but it's true. And I want to ask him this question. That if, if, if they have seen and really know and believe that this can be turned around, and, you know, whether it's 30 years or whatever. And, and, and they said to us, most of us, now, Josue was the youngest one among us, him and, him and J.R. and Patrick Gregg. I'm not sure how old y'all are together. But, you know, they were saying they're dressing the rest of us gray heads or whatever heads, no heads, no hairs or whatever we were in the room. <laughs> so in 30 years, most of us probably won't be here, but... Unless we set a new course and pace now and stand up now, we'll never see it happen. But here's my question to them. You say that, but yet have you taken into account what this book says about the last days? And that there is an Antichrist. And there it definitely is an Antichrist spirit that's a- active and at work. I believe the Antichrist, the person, literally is probably alive and doing well and, and probably making his score in, in order to get people to nominate him one day and select him. But listen, this world, what's going to, if I can just give you the easy uh, revelation for dummies version for me, it's going to get so bad in every area of our culture, the world is going to clamor for somebody that can come give an answer. And that person, that system will be so embraced because we're in such a crisis and a mess. We are desperate. And this book talks about that. And there's an element, and again, I say this, I I live in this tension. And and for me it is, and I think for Christians it's a tension. I live in this tension that, yes, we're supposed to occupy and stand and represent the kingdom of God and what's right until he comes because that's what it means But yet at the same time, we're going to see a great revival of evil and a great revival of good and righteousness simultaneously at the same time. We're going to see the kingdom of God grow. I believe God's not through saving people. I believe God's not through pouring his spirit. Listen, we have not seen Joel 2 yet where he pours pours out his spirit upon our sons and our daughters and they would all prophesy. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen a measure of it. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit being poured out to awaken us out of the darkness, the bondage, the lethargy, the apathy that we have slipped into, even as God's people. I'm not trying to be mean and beat us or beat me or you up today. We've got to let the fire come again. We've got to get God's fire back. And I don't, it's okay to shout and hoop and, and holler and roll and cry, you know, in the service and everything. That's, but when we leave here, When we walk out of this place, we should be so transformed and full of God's power and bold and emboldened by his love. Listen, we've got to be motivated by his love, not meanness, not not anger against the world, but so motivated by his love, they will not be able to shut us up. 
They'll say, if you don't shut up, you're going to get fired. I need time at home to fix stuff anyway. Let it happen. My God's greater than this place. Listen, if you're trusting in the economy of this world, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Oh, yeah, stock market set all kinds of world records last week. If somebody sneezes wrong somewhere, it's going the other way, folks. Remember 2008? Other times? We have got to be so full of God's love and power that when we walk out of this building, when we walk out of our houses, when we walk into those places we work, when we walk into our neighborhoods, we need, we need to get out of our houses and our little places of hiding and trying to play it safe. And we need to be witnesses again, so full of God's love and mercy. Listen, when you pray and you get God's love and you get connected with the Holy Spirit, you're going to go. And they won't be able to shut you up. Actually, you're going to see that tonight in this video with Robbie Dawkins. It is amazing. I was so, ch- I was so convicted when I saw and heard his, his testimony, what, how God uses him. I don't know that God's going to send me among Islam, Muslims around the world like he does, Afghanistan and all these hard places. I don't know that. But listen, we've got a mission field right here. You've got a mission field on your street. Some of you got a mission field in your home with your kids. With your, some of, you, some of you, your parents are your mission field. They're not saved. God, God saved me and plucked me out of lostness to witness to and minister to my mom and dad, brothers, sisters. I've still got a whole, I've got that family picture of us on our uh, family reunion last May up where I have prayer in the morning. And I'm still trying to pray for each one of them by name so I can remember all of them's name because that's a challenge. But I just lay my hands on that and I said, God, save my family. Bring them out of darkness. Let the light of your love shine upon them. Lord, send somebody across their path that they can respect that will minister to them. That'll work. If you can't do it, if they don't receive you, pray that God will send somebody. God will send somebody. Listen, God, God, doesn't, God doesn't set you up for failure, but God can put you in situations where you'll start paying attention. 12 Chapter 12, 25 through 26 says, See to it that you do do not refuse him speaking. He compares Moses on earth giving God's ways. Of course, Israel didn't listen, did they? Some did, some didn't. But he said, he compares him to Yeshua, Jesus. And he says, Now see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, Moses, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him. Him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now God has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. If you're not aware of it, there is a shaking going on. And if you're not aware of it, the shaking is going to get greater. It's going to happen. And what the word warns you and I, and please, I am not. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but yet that's not bad being an alarmist because we set our alarm clock so we, so we will wake up, so we'll rise up, so we won't miss our appointed time, right? So if that's what an alarmist is and an alarm clock set to do, then you and I need to be an alarmist that wake people up to get people to rise up so that we won't miss our appointment with destiny that God has for us now and there. Did you follow that? 
So it's okay to be an alarmist. <laughs> he says, see to it that you listen to him who speaks from heaven, the Lord, his word. That you be the people of God. The greater privilege and a blessing that you and I have. Listen, in the Old Testament, they didn't have what we had. They didn't have the personal relationship. There was a lot of reverence and fear and you got to do this and commands. Teaching them the ways of the Lord. It was a schoolmaster teaching them until Christ came, Galatians tells us. But now we have the greater. We have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Yeshua himself that has come. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit in us that gives us revelation, enlightenment, encouragement, and help, and hope, and strength, and empowerment. And with that greater privilege and blessing, it also means if we reject that, there's a greater responsibility and a greater answering to it. The day is coming, and it is coming, when all rebellion and rejection, thank God, finally will be uh, addressed by the Lord, and a manifestation of God will come. He is a God of mercy, grace, tolerance, and love right now. That's part of his character, but that's only part. There's coming a day when the judge of all the earth will stand up off his throne and said, the cup of iniquity on planet earth is full no more. And on that time, he will become the judge and deliver judgment into his son, the Lord Jesus Yeshua. It'll be a greater judgment. It'll be a greater terror than Sinai ever saw. It, that shaking is going to shake the whole earth, but also it says the heavens. There'll be a universal shaking or judgment, which is a clear reference to Jesus coming. And when this shaking is through, everything that is evil, everything that is wrong, Everything that is unjust, everything that is bad, everything that's been perverted, everything will be dealt with and done away with, and righteousness will reign forever. Amen. Amen. It's going to be shaken. It's being shaken now. Listen, it's shaking now to, to find out who is really true to God and who's just saying it. Because things are getting rough, and those that are really not committed to the Lord, they're bailing out. And they will bail out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Listen, persecution never has been a bad thing for the church. We don't like it. We don't want to go through pain. We don't want to go through stuff. But listen, persecution has always purified the church. It got rid of the hypocrites. It got rid of those that were in there to, to, to subvert, that were in there to pervert, that were in there to do all kinds of evil and work for their own good. It got rid of them because they weren't willing to die for something and someone they really didn't believe in. So persecution is not a bad thing. I'm not wishing it upon us, but I don't doubt it's coming in some form or measure to us here in America even. And I know we don't like to talk about it. We love our comfort. But that shaking's coming. It's increasing. And this is not a message of doom and gloom, but here's the hope. There's a time coming when that shaking's going to be over. And those who stand faithful with the Lord will be found standing faithful with him forever. Quite simple, but quite true. When there's nothing left and God sets his throne up and God sets his kingdom up here on earth again, everything in this present life, you'll always seem to be, listen, in this life that we live in now, Pastor Larry, please come. In this life that we're living in now, it's a time that 
things are broken and things are lost, but there's coming a time where it's going to be restored. We live in a world and we live in a time, things grow old, we grow old, things wear out, we tend to wear out, situations change from, you know, from, from good to bad to bad, good again, relationships, we make relationships and sometimes we lose those relationships. It's a transition, a, a transitory life. And in, in this present life, we always seem to be saying goodbye to someone or something. It's just life. And every time someone leaves or something breaks or things begin to fade away, there's always this longing in us deeply that we long for the coming day when that doesn't happen anymore. We long for that time when something that's lasting and permanent and, and when uh, the only change that we're going to experience is from one glory to another glory. But that day's not here yet. It's coming. And we face hardships. We do. We do as Christians. We face hardships. We face challenges. We face issues and problems. We do. Real stuff. If you deny that, you're denying reality. But we're not alone. Here's the, here's the blessing. We're not alone. We have a God that loves us, that takes care of us. And when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he takes care of us. He takes care of us. And I want to comfort you with that. You know? So what do we do? Just final, what do we do? What do, what do we do when right now seems unbearable? What, you, what some of you brought with you today, what some of you are going through right here today as you sit here listening online, what do you do when it's unbearable, when, you're, when your future is, is virtually unseeable, you're, you're stuck? What do you, what do, you do? Here's what, here's what Hebrews 12 says we do. We realize this world is not our permanent dwelling place. Not as, a, not as an easy believism or pie in the sky, but you just got to realize this world's not all there is to it. What you see right now is temporary. What we can't see is eternal. Corinthians. We're receiving, and that's what it says. You right now are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Don't put your, don't put your hope in this world. Don't put your hope in this world's systems. They're going to fail. They're going to fail. But the kingdom of God is never going to fail. It will be established forever. It's already here through Jesus Christ. You can live in it. You can walk in it. You can participate in it. Not in its fullness. The fullness will come. But we can grow in it. And it cannot be shaken. And what do we do? It says here in closing in, in Hebrews 12, we show our gratitude how? By worshiping and trusting him. I want some of the praise team, if they're still here with you, if they can come help you sing. And let's go, but come on, Mallory. Let's go back to that waymaker. There's something, there's an anointing on that song because that, who, that, that is who God is. So right where you are today, just stand together, please, with me. Just please stand together. Right where you are right now, in the middle of it all, if you will give God the worship and the praise that belongs to him, you will become like Paul and Silas in that prison cell. For the gospel, they were arrested and beaten and imprisoned and chained. And their hope wasn't too good. They didn't know what their outcome would be. The effort would be to kill them, to silence them, to shut them up, to stop them. The only way to do that permanently would be to kill them. But what did they do? They started singing, worshiping, praising. They had no clue God was about to rock that jail 
They had no clue that the chains around their hands, their wrists, and their feet were going to come off. They had no clue that the prison doors were going to open up. They had no clue that they were going to be the message carriers that won that whole prison and that Philippian jailer to the Lord. They had no clue. But what they did in the midst of what they were going through, they just began to worship God and praise Him. They did what they were created to do, worship Him. That's what you're created to do. And when your back's against the wall and when you're middle of it all and when things aren't going good for you and, and you're going through the hardship, we're called to worship Him because that breaks the barriers, that breaks the neck, that breaks the yoke of the devil off of our situations. We humble ourselves. We surrender ourselves. We let God's awesome power begin to work through us. This is, listen, what I saw last Sunday in the second service, you do it too. But I saw people worshiping the Lord. And I sat there and I said, God, what do I do? It's one of those moments, Lord, I don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do next? Are we not supposed to do anything? Lord, what, what, what? What? It's like Pastor Collins used to say, where's Paul now when you need him and need some guidance and direction? And I sensed in my spirit, these people, they may not be swinging swords, they may not be chopping, they may not be kung fuing, they may not be doing whatever, but they are, through their worship, they are doing spiritual warfare. And God said, let them worship me because they're having individual personal breakthroughs as they worship me, worship him. There's where the victory is. Y'all sing this. Y'all sing this. And don't just sing it. Declare it to the King of kings, your Lord of lords, the one that has given you a city and a kingdom that is unshakable, unshakable today. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You just want to come up here in this altar here and fill it up and worship. Come on. You are here, working in the 